Live Saturday at 6. It's time for your weekly music and entertainment fix. Backstage with Sinead Nivorda. With all the best music, interviews and live sessions. Live from the Radio Nova Studios in the Dublin Docklands. Well, hello and a happy Saturday evening to you all. I hope you're enjoying your lovely weekend. It's Sinead Nivorda here hanging out with you until 7. I have great treats in store for you, especially if you're fans of punk, two-tone ska, folk, folk and rock. So coming up, I'll be starting off with Mr. Jake Burns, frontman guitarist of Stiff Little Fingers. He'll be talking about what it was like to form a punk band at the time of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. I'll be talking to British Queen of Ska, Pauline Black, ahead of the Selectors' forthcoming show at the Academy. As well as that, I've got music from Kurt Vile, and I've got a light one from Rock God's Queen, all coming up between now and 7 o'clock on Radio Nova. So I think we'll kick it off with some punk now. Backstage on Radio Nova. Yeah, let's kick it off. It's Stiff Little Fingers, Alternative Ulster on Nova.
Stiffle Fingers and Nova with the brilliant punk anthem Alternative Ulster. So I caught up with the frontman Jake Burns from his home in Chicago to talk about the punk movement and about how Stiffle Fingers managed to, you know, be part of the whole punk v- movement. And it was at a time when obviously they're quite removed physically from what was happening in the UK with the likes of Wilco Johnson creating punk with Dr. Feelgood, the Damned being the first punk band to release a single and the clash leading the movement. So I start by asking Jake how he came to arrive at forming Civil Fingers and how it all happened, really. Well, I, uh, I mean, like, like, like a lot of people from, from Ireland, uh, my first sort of exposure to, to, to rock music as such was through Rory Gallagher. And, uh, I mean, that was, you know, that was my sort of like Damascus moment in terms of you know, realising I was never going to be George Best, you know. I couldn't see, couldn't see the hand in front of my face, much less pass a football. So, so the, dreams, the dreams of being a footballer went out the window, and I suddenly decided, well, I'm sure I can play a guitar. I can, I can see that. That's close enough. That's close enough. Um, so that, you know, that was the, 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 uh, the first thing I, I was inspired by was, was uh, seeing Rory. You know, I was probably about 14. And uh, I went through the usual... Um, you know, sort of teenage boy thing at the time, which was like anything that was really loud and obnoxious and annoyed my parents. That mm. was what I liked. Um, so I bought, you know, lots of records by Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, those sort of people. Um, so by the time 76 rolled around, I was bored stiff of all of that stuff. I mean, it seemed to me like you almost had to have a, you know, a, 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 a musical college degree to play in a rock band. That didn't, you know, that didn't seem, that was getting away from the loud, noisy and annoying your parents aspect of it that, <laughs> that I really liked. Um, so obviously when I, you know, when I first heard, and it's funny you mentioned Dr. Feelgood, because they were, along with people like Graham Parker and The Rumour and, uh, and Bob, Dil- uh, Bob, Bob Marley, sorry, and I was already a Bob Dylan fan, um, that, that seemed like a move towards songwriting more to me um, and, and I thought I was becoming much more interested in than just you know showing off on a guitar um, and, and obviously the, the feel goods hit me at the time as just being such an exciting thing because it was that visceral rock and roll thing that, that you know that uh, seemed to me had been missing for a, a very long time um, I'm kind of dotting about all over the place here, um, but you know the, the, they were they were a huge influence in terms of moving me away from listening to uh, the the yeses and genesis and people like that. I really couldn't stand. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you know, once once I actually heard the, the Sex Pistols and the Damned, I was I was an easy convert. You know, mm. um, having said that, of course, I didn't actually think that there was any sort of legs to it. I thought it was, I thought it was the sort of the, the shake-up that, that music needed, but I didn't really see where they were going to go with it. You know, the Damned were a lot of fun. Um, the Pistols were fantastic in terms of, like I said, you know, my parents hated them. But I didn't really see any long-term future in, in what any of them were doing. And maybe that was the point, you know, um, until I actually heard The Clash. And then, then it was like... Uh, Again, you know, I mentioned the road to Damascus moment when I heard Rory. I think the Clash were, were very much that for me. I, I mentioned briefly I was a Dylan fan. Mm. So to hear a band actually writing songs about their life, um, that spoke to me a lot more than, than the Damned or the, or the Pistols. They're as fantastic as the, those bands were, you know. Absolutely. Oh, the Clash are the greatest bands who've ever arrived, but, but punk just has something special, a real essence of energy. And, you know, an inflammable material, talking about songwriting, obviously you're embracing what was happening at the time with the Troubles Up North, and it was just such a huge success. It's just incredible to believe that it was the first ever independent album to break into the top 20 in the UK. And was it on your, was it your 21st birthday that went into the it was, it was actually on my 21st birthday, wow. yeah. Um, which, you know... Uh, it's one of those things, you look back on it now, and at the time, all, everything that happened to us, 
to us at the time, it kind of seemed, first of all, it seemed natural. It seemed like, well, that's, you know, that's, that's what happens. You join a band, you make a record, it goes into the charts, you know. Um, I, I think, you know, we'd probably all, you know, probably being, you know, from Northern Ireland, and like you said, sort of, you know, slightly removed from the music business, um, we had this sort of romanticized, vague idea of, well, that's, that's how it happens. It's only when you actually, you know, look back on it at the time and realize how many other bands were trying and that it doesn't actually happen like that, that uh, we were just incre- you know, incredibly lucky in terms of right place, right time. Um, but yeah, at the time, it all seemed terribly natural. And in fact, it seemed to us like it was moving very slowly. <laughs> of course, looking back now, it, it all happened in the blink of an eye, really, you know. Yeah, it was absolutely, it was so fast. And it was funny, I was reading something earlier on about um, when your first single was Alternate, was it? No, it would have been, was it Suspect Device that John Peel latched onto when was playing nonstop? Yeah, Suspect Device was the first, was yeah. the first single. Um, and again, you know, it was, uh, we had sent tapes out to, to record labels and nobody was interested. So um, Gordon, our manager, sort of stumped up the, the 500 quid or whatever it was and, and we made it ourselves. Um, and yeah, Peel, Peel did actually play it something like eight, nine nights in a row or whatever. Wow. Um, but I remember reading about that and obviously it would have been a really exciting time hearing that song we played nonstop on the radio. But obviously being an independent and DIY band, it was you guys that were there with the Pritz sticks and everything sticking the whole thing together, wasn't it? So I believe uh, that... Yeah, absolutely. Was... I believe that somewhere, you know, we, we basically got these things, uh, a friend of Ali's worked at the local Polytechnic. <laughs> Anybody remember Polytechnics? I'm really showing me age. Um, <laughs> and he had access to the, uh, the photocopier there, so he basically just photocopied the sleeves. But they came as a flat piece of paper, so we had, you know, we had with this little production line at Gordon's apartment with ourselves and our, <laughs> our girlfriends at the time, sort of oh. like one cutting it out, one folding it, one sticking it together, one putting the record in it, and the other putting them all in the box. So it was like this little production line. <laughs> and I think somebody, somebody out there has actually got a copy of the record, if, if anybody uh, is listening who has actually got the original, you should check the inside of the sleeve because I know for a fact that one copy got out with a chip shop order written on the back on the inside of it. So you're joking me? That's hilarious. I'm sure. I'm certain of it. You know, we had John on in the background when uh, when we were doing this, and yeah, every so often he would play the record. We'd be like, "Oh, stop playing the damn thing!" Because you know, it's like, I think we made something like 500 copies originally, and that doesn't sound like a lot until you actually have to sit down and stick together five, 500 record sleeves, and then it just seems an interminable amount. You know, um, yeah. So I mean, that was actually what we did with the first royalties. You know, I, it's like I love reading these sort of biographies of the, you know, the likes of Hank Williams and, and Elvis Presley and people, you know, back in the day who, you know, when they get their first royalty check, they go out and buy themselves a Cadillac or whatever. Well, obviously we weren't, we weren't on that, uh, on that scale of success. The first thing we did with our royalties was, can we get somebody to make the damn sleeves for us? <laughs> so that was what we did. Take it off our hands, we're crying out loud. Yeah, really. You know? <laughs> You've had everything sticking to your fingers at that stage. <laughs> Absolutely. Sticky little yeah. fingers more than still. <laughs>
You're backstage on Radio Nova with Stiff Little Fingers from man Jake Burns from the band Gotta Get Away. What a classic that is. So I had a chat with Jake Burns and he also spoke about what led to the 11-year gap between albums. Just going back to how the band started off, obviously it was quite an exciting time for the band, but as well as that, an equally horrifying time, you know, with it being the height of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. So this is an insight into what it was like at the time for Jake and the band. It's funny you mentioned nothing to do. That was actually the main, you know, the, my main memory looking back on the time of the Troubles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you first move away, people's reaction is, oh God, it must be terrible for you, you know, sort of, a, you, were you not terrified, were you not scared all the time? He's like, no, I was just bored all the time because there was nothing to do. Yeah. Um, which sounds crazy, you know, in a, uh, you know, to a background of sort of rioting and, and bombs and civil unrest rest and whatever but i mean the truth of the matter was was exactly that you know thanks to what was going on you know bands wouldn't come and play and uh, you know the, the whole city center basically was a ghost town from about seven o'clock in the evening you know they, they, that security uh, ring of security gates around the center that you know they they locked it i think like six thirty seven o'clock and only opened to let buses through and so you know even cinemas were closing and um so to actually try and you know start a band in that uh, in that situation was was pretty difficult, uh, and mm-hmm. particularly a band playing original material. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's changed now, but back then, um, Ireland was was still in the grip of the show bands. You know, and uh, if you weren't just being a, a top twenty jukebox, then you you weren't getting weren't getting gigs. So that was kind of the way we approached it. I mean, mm-hmm. we basically you know, we became almost like a punk show band when we first <laughs> when we first started. You know, we learned the entire for, damned first album, <laughs> and you know, we learned. As many, basically, we learned anything we could get our hands on, you know, yeah. uh, and, uh, and and played that just to, you know, to play anywhere. And, and again, at the time, there were probably only about three, maybe four venues you could actually get a gig at. Um, but what was exciting about it um, was when we realised that there were like two, at least two other bands in Belfast who who were playing the same sort of thing as we were, and that would be Rudy and the the Outcasts. Um, so you know, we saw, first of all, then we realised we weren't alone in actually liking this sort of music, uh, and it was I mean, it's the longest time even before we even heard of the Undertones. I mean, Derry may as well have been another planet at the oh, time. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> That's funny. You never got to cross over on the small gig circuit that was in the North. You never managed to cross over or bump into the Undertones. No, uh, no, we never did. I believe they came to see us once in Port Rush, but um, they never made themselves known to us. Um, so no, we never actually. I, I think the first time I met any of them was uh, when we'd all. Uh, headed over to London. That's crazy. Like, I remember going over the border and having, you know, soldiers with guns peering into your car and seeing the tanks. It's just, I can't, can't imagine what it was like growing up there. So it, it's great that finally it's things that come around. Honest, you knew it was everyday life, you know, you yeah. just got used to it. I mean, wow. you, you didn't, you know, I mean, the trouble started, I was 11 years old. So realistically, it's, you know, it's kind of what you knew, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, oh, Chicago's a very different place. Now, just moving on quickly, uh, congratulations on the 10th studio album been released last year. Um, yeah. So you mentioned before that you don't necessarily do comedy songs. So what, was, what were the subjects that you uh, embraced on this record? Well, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the new album was, was a long time in coming, uh, mainly because a lot of things happened in my personal life. I mean, I, I went through a divorce. I obviously moved uh, house because of that. And then uh, I met somebody else uh, who happened to be American, so I then had to move countries as well. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. you know, that took, that took quite a bit of time. Um, and it also triggered uh, in me like a, a period of depression where I just didn't want to do anything. Um, 
So, you know, there are songs about, about losing your job and, and worrying about paying your mortgage. There are songs about... I wrote a song about my depression that I went through, um, which, as a song, seems to have particularly struck a chord with a lot of the audience. Um, Thank you so much for bringing us some amazing music. Like, really, it's such a pleasure to get chatting to you today, and it's great, you know, ten albums in, still kicking and screaming. It's brilliant. It's always been fun to play in Dublin, even when, you, you know... When we first first got to play there, I think the first show we did was was in the old Moran's Hotel, um, and yeah, I mean that was you know that was our first experience of going on the road, man. You know, <laughs> like the, all, all piling into an old transit van and trundling down to Dublin. You know, so it was always it was always a fun always a fun time. It's always a place I look I really look forward to getting back to, and obviously we're we're in in Belfast the following night, so oh, nice. you know that's the. Uh, that's the emotional and nerve-wracking homecoming, you know. I can imagine. Oh, a lot of excited people for that. Well, Jake, I've stiffled fingers. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing the Academy on 13th of November. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks a million. Jake Burns, that was an amazing moment. I think I jumped and screamed just a little bit after speaking with him, the legendary frontman of Stiff Little Fingers. It's incredible that their album, Flammable Material, was the first independent album to break into the top 20, into the charts. Amazing. So that gig is going pretty damn good in the Academy in Dublin on Friday the 13th. Support comes from Blood or Whiskey. I'll be chatting to Pauline Black of The Selector a little bit later on, music from Kurt Vile. But up next is music from The Smiths, as Connor Irwin of Radio Nova has some news regarding Mars. Backstage on Radio Nova.